This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today we start a new sermon series, Prophets and Kings. Elijah was a man of God, but he was burned out at the end of his rope and mad at God. It's okay not to be okay, but then what? And now, here's Martha with our message. I think, yes, today's scripture is rather long. It is from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. So I invite you to hear these words. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. He got up, ate, and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. For the next several weeks, we are going to look at some passages in the Old Testament that were either written by or about prophets and kings. Now, we like to think that prophets, when we hear the word prophet, it might often come to mind to us that we think of a religious person. Of, of a priest, of someone who served in a religious role. In today's world, we might even think of clergy or pastors. But for the most part, that's not true for prophets. Some of them played a dual role, yes. But for the most part, in the ancient world, in our scripture of the Old Testament, a prophet was just your average Joe. A prophet was someone whom the Holy Spirit revealed a message to them and tasked them with taking that message to the people in power. Largely, the people in power were kings. Kings had earthly power. They had the power to kill and destroy, and they had the power to lift up and bless with material blessings as well. They had power. Prophets not so much. 
all prophets has, had were the words inspired by God for them to take a message. And they often had to speak that message to the kings. Rarely did a prophet have a message for a king that said, you know, Mr. King, those oppressive economic policies that you've put in place that are squashing the little people, God's okay with that. You just keep right on doing that. Rarely was the message that the prophet had, would it go something like this. You know, Mr. King, God told us in the first commandment to have no other gods before our God of all creation, but you're out there worshiping pagan gods, that's okay. God didn't really mean that commandment. It's okay, you just keep right on going. Rarely did the prophets say to those in power, what you're doing is okay. It actually went something like this. Hey, Mr. King, God's mad at you. You have screwed up royally this time, and calamity and famine and war and all that stuff's going to come crashing down around you. As you might imagine, it often was not a very well-received message. But it's what we call speaking truth to power. And I will try to explain that phrase as we go through these next several weeks. We're actually going to do this through July. Full disclosure here. Some of these stories that we will look at, some of the texts, the scriptural texts, are hard to swallow. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, a few weeks ago before I left for three weeks, I wanted to give the worship team and, and the staff everything they needed to be ready for when I came back. I had this series planned back in November. As I sat down and looked at these scriptures before I left, I decided, mm -mm, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. It's not very warm and fuzzy, so I don't, I don't want to do that. Did I not say that? So I said, here's three weeks. Let's get through the first three weeks. They're not that bad, and then we're going to switch to something else. And then Uvalde happened the day before I left. And then another shooting happened. And as I sat on the beach with my sister and my niece, my daughter was with us too, but my sister and my niece and I are from Chattanooga. We got news of a Chattanooga shooting. And then another one. And then on top of the crushing weight of war and racism and division and COVID, I spent those three weeks thinking and praying, and I realized now is not the time to shy away from difficult scripture passages. Now is the time to borrow from our prophets and speak truth to power, truth to our situations. So there's your warning for the next several weeks. I expect to see every single one of you back next Sunday for this warm and fuzzy sermon series. But if we only look at the comforting aspects of God's story, we do ourselves a great disservice. Today's scripture it's actually, we're beginning with one that is actually a reminder that when these burdensome periods in life come, God is always present, always wanting to restore us, always wanting to give us rest. Have you ever seen a grown man or a grown woman pitch a toddler fit? A friend called me the other day, and the phone conversation went something like this. I just want to cry like a toddler today. I said, okay. 
Her job had been going through some changes, and she told me, she said, I know it's going to level off. It's going to be okay. It's just hectic right now. She was about to have to put her dog down. Her adult child is not managing life very well. So she's going through this list of things as I'm on the phone with her. And then she says, and there's all these shootings and war and COVID is still around. And I just can't take it anymore. And to top it off, I just put $88 of gas in my car. And it wasn't even empty. She said, I just want to pitch a fit. That is what my sister and I call a duck fit. You ever heard that phrase? A duck fit is slang for when a person just flat out loses it. And it looks, we have a video, a whole lot like this. Anybody? Now, I don't want to see spouses nudging each other right now, because that's, that's going to put us in a whole other sermon series. We're not going there. That's what Elijah was doing in this scripture in 1 Kings 19. He was pitching a fit. But what brought him there? Now, most of us have some sort of familiarity with the scene of Elijah in the cave. We love the story of the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. We love the story of the massive hurricane wind, but God wasn't in the wind. We love the story of, the, of God shaking the earth in the earthquake, but God wasn't there. God was in the sound of the sheer silence. And it's in that silence that we hear the still, small voice of God. We love that part of the story. Many songs, many Bible studies, many sermons probably have been written and preached about that part. But what brought Elijah to that mountainside? Elijah is one of the Bible's greatest and well-known prophets. And being a prophet, therefore his job was to speak truth to the power, to the king of the day. Elijah was in what we call the northern kingdom, at this point called Israel, and the king of the northern kingdom at this point was Ahab. Ahab had gone and married a woman named Jezebel. Now that should tell you right there how the story's going to go. Ahab married a woman named Jezebel from a neighboring kingdom, and Jezebel insisted, flat out demanded actually, that Ahab's people the Jewish people worship her God. Her God was Baal, B-A-A-L. She insisted that they worship her God. Enter in Elijah. Elijah's job was to speak truth to the situation in the oppressive ways, primary of which at this point was forcing people to worship this God, which, by the way, went against commandment number one. So the prophets on both sides, prophets like Elijah and the Jewish people and prophets of Baal, they were trying to figure out how to navigate this environment and sort of straddle the fence. Basically, they were trying to save their own skin. So they got caught in the crossfire of this battle. So Elijah, in what, prior to what we just read, challenges all 800 prophets of Baal, of Jezebel's prophets, he says, go get 800 of your best homies and let's, let's have a duel. That's pretty much how it went. Gets 800 prophets of Baal and he says, all right, you guys get a bull, go prepare a bull for sacrifice and build an altar and I'm going to do the same thing over here, me, Elijah, by myself <clears throat> and we'll see whose God is really God because we'll call down fire from our gods and whoever's God answers 
is clearly going to be God. So it's, it's, it's a comical scene, actually. Elijah taunts them three, three hours or three times throughout the whole day saying, Dance, shout louder, your God just must be on vacation or something. Guess what happens to their sacrifice? Nothing. So then he says, all right, let me show you how it's done. But before he does it, he has them pour water all over his sacrifice three times. So it's just drenched in water. Steps back. He calls worship and praise to God. And he says, light this fire. What do you think happened? Burned up into flames. And then Elijah kills all 800 prophets of Baal. Now, is that not just a cool story? As you might have imagined, Jezebel wasn't very happy about that. And as the saying goes, when mama ain't happy, no one's happy. Ahab had to go home and tell her what happened at the office that day. And so Jezebel swore to kill Elijah. She swore to hunt him down like a wild animal and slaughter him the same way he slaughtered 800 of her prophets. And so Elijah was running for his ever-loving life. That is what brought Elijah to the point where we find him in 1 Kings 19. He's scared. He's exhausted. He's depressed. He is feeling utterly conquered and alone where he collapses, sits down under a tree and cries out, It is enough now, O Lord. Take my life. Don't miss those words. Take my life. Elijah was asking to die. He felt so alone, so abandoned, so hopeless that he would rather be dead. Now, whether Elijah's statement is is hyperbole, meaning it's exaggerated or not, what we see here is some hints of suicidal thoughts. At the very least, what we see is a man whom we would say a man of God who was not okay. If you hear me say nothing else today, please hear this. It is okay not to be okay. The story of Elijah gives us an opportunity to name the real presence of mental illness, mental and emotional illnesses and challenge, and to talk about suicide. Did you know Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people, hold on to your seats here, ages 10 through 24. Suicidal thoughts know no age or socioeconomic boundaries. In the last few years, in the last few weeks actually, we have seen suicide among celebrities, among athletes, We have seen it among the young and the old. Last year in our Holston Annual Conference, a well-known, deeply loved, highly respected, and by all outward appearances, joyful and generous clergy person took their own life. Suicide knows no boundaries. So what can we do? Well, first got to talk about it. We need to acknowledge it. 
and we need to talk about it. We have to stop shaming those who have those thoughts. Stop judging, stop condemning, and we sure as heck have to stop pretending that it's not in our own homes or our own community. And friends, if statistics are true, it's right here in our congregation. Not talking about it adds an even more load of pressure to those who already feel alone. I won't pretend that I'm an expert. I'm not. I have had training, but I am not an expert. And I realize even me saying these words is triggering to some of you. And so I have some resources at the back of the worship center that I can give to you. And I would love to have a conversation with you. Please stop by after worship. If that's too public, I understand. Call the church, email me. I don't care how you get in touch with me. I want you to know that my door is open, my heart is open, my ears are open, and I want you to know you're not alone. How do I know that? Because it's evident in what God did next. Elijah went to God and said, could you just kill me? Could you just take my life? And you know what God did? God didn't condemn him. God didn't judge him. God didn't chastise him. God didn't downplay the way he felt and said, it's going to be okay. This will pass. God didn't do any of that. God also didn't ignore him. God cared for him. And nourished him. The story goes on and tells us that an angel of the Lord tended to Elijah, fed him, gave him water. He actually had to be woken up twice to get that done. He was so physically, emotionally, and mentally exhausted. Only to get up, travel a little bit further, and collapse again. Still in the throes of his agony, he crawls himself into that cave where God comes to him and says, what are you doing here? To which I've always wanted to say, hello, did you see what just happened? You know why I'm here, God. But Elijah answers to him. He says, I have been zealous for you. I have preached. I have spoken the words you told me to. I went where you said to go, God. I said what you said to say to these people, and these stubborn, stiff-necked people will not listen to me. He said, in fact, they're ignoring me, and now they're trying to kill me as they killed other prophets, and I am utterly alone. But Elijah wasn't the only one left. We have the beauty of looking at the whole panoramic uh, perspective of Scripture, and what we see is there were other prophets alive at the time. We Assume there was a prophet named Obadiah who was alive at the time. That's a different sermon for a different day. And we'll see in the next chapter, next week's sermon, that Elijah even had an assistant. A bigger picture look shows that Elijah wasn't alone. But in his exhaustion and his fear and his despair, he felt alone. And his feelings trumped the reality. The reality is that he wasn't alone and that God was with him. The story of Elijah shows us that it is okay to not be okay. It is okay to take your anger out at God. It is okay to have mental or emotional illnesses or challenges. It's okay to feel alone. In fact, 
I don't care how closely you follow Jesus, at some point in your life, you may feel just like Elijah felt. We like to think that following Jesus means it's going to be good from here on out. All's going to be happy. All is going to be well. Would you like to know what that is? That's a lie. That's a lie. But what following Jesus is, is the presence of God despite the hardships and the challenges. Following Jesus means God will not leave you alone curled up in a cave pitching a toddler fit. God will be with you. And the story of Elijah shows us how followers of Jesus are to live. If we see how God handled Elijah, that's how we're to do it also. Not condemning, but creating safe and welcome spaces for people to be themselves. For many of us, <laughs> these past two years of what I like to call mask season has been a godsend because what it did was manifest materially what we try to fake our way through with our masks on our faces. This passage reminds us it is okay to not have it all together. And not only is it okay, it is safe to say it and name it in the presence of Jesus. The story of Elijah reminds us God shows up. In those moments of absolute despair and hopelessness, God is present. And God is present through us, through the Holy Spirit living within us. In these times of turmoil, when we want to give up, God will tend to the exhaustion of our souls and help us keep going. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our sermon series, Prophets and Kings. Elisha was willing to walk away from the life he knew. He was all in, and he valued the importance of apprenticeship and mentoring. How is learning part of discipleship? How can spiritual mentors make a difference? See you then.